basically, I suppose I write like many other uh, poets or writers to satisfy some internal impulse. Um, poetry for me is uh, partly therapeutic almost in that if I go for any length of time without writing and writing substantially I feel very much uh, out of sorts almost so it is something intensely personal to me as well as that I enjoy writing I enjoy uh, handling words so there is the the craft side uh, to it uh, the versification side but apart from that there's something that goes quite deep in my love for poetry as an art form. John Ennis was born at Hightown, Carlstown, County Westmeath, in 1944. He was one of a large family, the eight sons and one daughter born to James and his wife Elizabeth, both of whom were also of Westmeath stock. My uh, parents were uh, involved in farming. My father was a small farmer. Uh, he went in for mixed farming, uh, rearing cattle and uh, pigs, selling cattle and pigs, a kind of market gardening as well, selling potatoes uh, in Mullingar, uh, growing corn, selling corn. Uh, that was the general area of farming activity that we engaged in. Reading your poetry, reading your various collections, your father would appear to me to have had, well he figures largely in your poetry, consequently would have had a heavy influence on you. Yes, uh, he was a very hard-working uh, person, uh, always uh, up and uh, at things. And uh, I was very much impressed uh, by his spirit. Uh, one might call him a workaholic in his own uh, right. There's a phrase from one of my poems which goes, uh, work and be damned, his motto. So this kind of dedication to work, actually the work ethic was very important with him. And... Uh, uh, naturally, uh, I was part and parcel of the whole farming scene, doing the usual farm chores, the usual farm work. Strangely enough, your mother, who had to be a central figure in your large family when you were growing up, does not figure yet anyway in any of your poetry. Uh, that's quite true. Uh, however, no doubt, uh, within a short while, she certainly will be uh, appearing. I suppose she is such a central character that one uh, takes her presence much for granted. But uh, her warmth and uh, affection and hard work uh, were very important uh, formative features in my young years. Double new time in the morning. Double old time at night, your sons complained. Work side-stoned to a frenzy. Thursday, Friday dawned, both killing days. Pots of scalding water spat under lids all hours, bubbled onto flames as the ash clouds rose. Squeals of pigs, last day cries, lingered ages in rooms, outhouses, boiler corner I squeezed into, saw face-to-face -face cruelties, noon's deliberate highlights, rope twists manacle the upper jaw, dungs of fright and pouting orifice, treble-lit pallets, white slavered teeth. Pigs collapsed to the spike axe, sunk deep in the forehead, throats slashed for livelihood, spirited, crimson, frothed enamel. I wolfed my porridge at one go, one early town-going Saturday, permitted to the converted barn streaked with red daybreak. Candle stubs flickered low on cutting tables my eyes came up to, hooked on my brother's cold, eerie dissections. At their backs... Rows, stiffs of carcasses hung, cued from a pine crossbeam, 
bellies gaping emptily, liver mortis slit open down the nipples. A pump nozzle hissed, salted, cured. Hand meat lots were dropped onto table scales. In a corner, cubes, pounds, cast of iron slid on off a pendulant model, weighed sides of bacon, joints, cuts. I felt the shrill, boning knives edged on stones. Before I grew to ripe ten, your work was stopped on government orders. Subsidised in godliness, state bodies disemboweled kinder. You bowed to hygiene, humane killer. So your sons packed up, crossed the seas. Now limed walls of the swine barn, white limes no more. The butchering floor is scrubbed, scoured no more. Now the fire pot swells to earth and rhododendron, squats in a corner, is cracked on concrete. The opening lines of To Market, To Market from his Patrick Kavanagh Award-winning collection, Night on Hibernia. John Ennis won this award in 1975 and it enabled him to make his first venture into print. Night on Hibernia was published in 1976 by the Gallery Press. Two further publications followed, both from the Gallery Press, Dolman Hill in 1978 and A Drink of Spring in 1980. A common practice in my home during the hot summer months of June, July and August in the evenings was to have a drink of spring. Now, a drink of spring meant a drink of spring water. And to get this, uh, I would lift a bucket of water from the well, which was uh, deep, and the water was extremely cold and invigorating. And we'd all enjoy a cup of this before retiring uh, for the night. After the sweat of swarts and the sinking madder sun, the clean-raked fields of a polychrome twilight, with cloudlets of indigo nomadic on the sky, a drink of spring was my father's preface to the night. As the youngest, I made fast the dairy window reins, sent the galvanised bucket plummeting to sink first time, weighted with steel washers at one frost-patterned side. His request was as habitual as a creaking kitchen joist. The rope tautened for the upward pull under the damson tree and the backbiting thorns of a never-pruned rose. The water laced with lime was glacial to the dusty throat. Mirage of the dying, it brings relief to the lips of the comatose. Cups furred with cold, I handed round the open-door fireless kitchen. The taste on my lips was lingering like a first kiss. I didn't start writing poetry until the early 60s when I went to University College Cork. I had always liked uh, poetry. I remember liking Blake particularly. This was around leaving certificate time, uh, poets like Wordsworth and Shelley. And uh, the, the thought would strike me of actually writing uh, poems. But it wasn't until I went to University College Cork and there, be and there came under the influence of people like Professor B.G. McCarthy and Sean Lucy uh, that uh, the idea of actually writing uh, came into my mind, seriously. Now, when you went to UCC and you met uh, Professor McCarthy, um, what kind of encouragement did you get? What had you done? What was said to you? 
She was a very stimulating lecturer uh, in her own right, and um, one always came away with a tremendous sense of enthusiasm or excitement for literature from her classes. As well, I met Sean Lucy there, and of course he was a he was a practicing poet. And um, after some uh, diffidence, I decided to uh, put my courage to the sticking place and to show him, him some of my work, which I did. His comments were generally favourable, and for many years uh, he was a great help and encouragement to me. Going to the Holy Hour on a Sunday evening was a familiar event for our country people. For ourselves, living in Carlstown, it was going to the little chapel in Carlstown. Rose coin of Chapel Cross donated the sanctuary Calvary. The dead and gone faithful of the 19th century poor hoarded their golds and cool crucifixion blues for the chapel. We knelt out the holy hour midway between altar and door. Bird song saturates those sun-sinking evenings of childhood. Familiar rouged cheeks of annunciation and resurrection faces glowed while the blackbirds and thrushes quarrelled in ewes, bickering in our ears over their graveyard nesting places. The nerves of our curate had been shattered in the war. Miry port marks once elicited his mild surprise. He'd handed me a Latin primer for the secondary. A cascade of white doves fell fluttering from his eyes. In London he'd seen a war-scarred minister pause to feed news-hungry reporters, issue them a brief the darkening import of his troubled countenance. Why, I do believe, I've lost my handkerchief. Matt Cahill talked of the black ritual he had seen, a lady, nationalistic, battle-time fervent in the extreme, befouling the haggard face of a German prisoner. Of all evil, this for him cried out the most foul, spittle-venomous crime. He travelled Europe, watched it die. I heard the judgment-shrill Nazis move cell to cell, torturing the world's unclean. Serpent bit Christendom to the core. His slimy head, the nymph-like blue virgin crushed now, smiled saccharine. Matt Cahill died young. Little trace of the honour's graduate guilty syllables. His frail white frame shuddered. Remembrance doubted which was the more savage reality in the early sixties. Blitz, or the eyes in our herded faces glazed with incognizance. He cast us lights from the altar rails. Mother of pearl people yawned as a final blast of roseate sun lit up the saints and their sets of glory. Two surpliced boys ran for the monstrance box. There was a rustle of kissed beads slipped into pockets. A handful of girls and Owen Judge, the sweetest tenor in Carlstown, rose to Osalotaris, the honeyed strains of Tantum Ergo. The incense of gold vowels was blown across our heads. We bowed to the flowering altar and the throbbing censer. Today the singers clustered in the organ loft are quiet on Sundays. Look down no more on where we murmured the prayers. Our place guaranteed midway between altar and door, upset by no crackle or gossip of guns. As we knelt, we spat into nobody's face. Outside, in hundreds, the yard dead loosened their bones that yellowed fragmentary in once wooden boxes. Unsung at the back wall by the laurels lay my father's people. As we left, memories of the heart would germinate on his tongue.
Well, I suppose the country background was always there, so there was a natural affinity with uh, the world that Patrick Kavanagh knew. And when I did eventually begin writing, I began to write of a world that was quite familiar to him as well. After the holy hour for the young, there'd be the chance of a lift into Mullingar to the pictures at the Hibernian or to a dance. Now, earlier in the day, on the Sunday, there was the inevitable match. And going to the match is still happily as alive and vital as it was, say, 20 years ago. Our county team was, of course, Westmeath, and in them our yearly championship faith never faltered. Lugged off to the match on Gaelic Sundays as a boy, before I reached the pimpled paper hat age of 11, my idols were Mick Carley and the Jobber McGrath, famous as the March snows of White 47. We followed Westmeath, that maroon-jerseyed county. We won mostly in the imagination. Great feats cheer themselves go hull and mad for a bleak summer-long catalogue of horse defeats. Ten thousand faces eager to the crackling styles, ten thousand faces in droves swept streets. Throng-killed Sunday afternoons packing Cusick Park. Pipe or brass bands struck up the soldier's song. Lady Luck would sometimes sweep the maroon tide, our pride be restored, the Mullingar trip made. While public houses echoed to intoxicant laughter, we celebrated high on lemonade. Summers came and went, our knockout hopes resurrected, paraded on May fields. Our gods on the daisies blithe in our tongues, we sat down at Tullamore, not crockery and Ochran. Sweet championship victories swelled our lungs. One day my uncle Ned did Trojan work. He rose, chronicled among the stars, the breath of Westmeath. As he boasted of his lusty prowess and defence, I heard the seven old stalwarts in him breathe. Applause fit to open the dry, sultry heavens died. Gates of galvanised green iron were thrown wide, lent askew. Soft Mediterranean tissue blew round the legs of the apple and Jaffa-selling woman, itinerant. Octobers came. The wintry league season had started. Showers drenched us, swept our cold, sparse, hailstung plank. The pitch-muddied players of foundering encounters strolled past our crazed defeats so nonchalant. If no match drew us, the radio filled your void. I'd leave you glued to it, O'Hare, as the empty house vibrated to wild cheering, flags broadcast of far-off games. But then, no strong Sunday tie of borders truly bound us. Again, let's come back to poetry and what it means to you. In your writing of poetry, is it an art? Is it a craft? Is it a combination of both? I would think that it is a, a combination of both. Obviously, there is the craft element, there is the art element. I think as poetry becomes poetry, let's say with a capital P, it tends to become more of an art uh, as such. But there is the delight in craftsmanship as well, and also a plumbing of the interior, the psyche, uh, all of which together hopefully results you know, in pleasing art forms of poetry. Um... In reading your poetry and in going through your collections, I think I would be correct in saying that again and again you come back to the 
subject of depth. Um, how it happened, why it happened, what effect it has on you. Do you have a preoccupation with death? Well, certainly at one stage I did. Um, my father died in 1975 and that led to an intense examination by me of the theme of death. I observed in minute detail uh, the burial of uh, my father. I remember coming back to Waterford after the burial and uh, there and then sitting down and recording all the little uh, items uh, connected with the burial ritual. Uh, the death at that stage had the force of an obsession for me. I suppose this obsession was necessary uh, to the extent that it had to be to give the poems the power that I hope they have in that collection, A Drink of Spring, which is a tribute to my father. But uh, I became conscious as well as time went by of uh, the necessity to explore the other uh, life force, uh, life itself. There are two themes which are dominant in my work. One is uh, Thanatos, the uh, study of the death theme, and Eros. But it's the life or the Eros theme that um, obviously I'm giving my energies to now. The scent of death was clogging my nostrils like carrion. I recall the blue sky too, the precise instant I came back, swaying on top of the grave pallet a few friends carried. Their tears heartened me. The undertaker was businesslike. Mad for the proof of their eyes, God's curious crowd and my hushed lot mingled, half smothered me. Half of names scattered, bewildered, was this a funeral or wasn't it? But I danced on the lips of Judea before darkness. God was standing near the gate by the green roadside. His eyes looked down into mine. The whole town gaped. I sat up wide awake. I meant surely to say thanks. Only when he put his hand on the pallet did my friends stop. He lifted me bodily talks himself into trouble now up in Jerusalem. I'll be borne out again, too. I won't be afraid the next time. Should I travel up to Jerusalem? I forgot my mother then and her that lavished kisses on me. The old year dissolves now with a thousand memories. We are four of us in the house today, thanks to him. My mother is ailing. I am back to my self-responsibilities. What I said or didn't say is still the talk of all name. Oh, happy day. I walked home. It was the obvious thing to do. Annoyed the incredulous at street corners with my laughter. I ran the keeners out of the kitchen. They looked at me. They weren't pleased. Death being what it is. Now, you have... Uh, you've three collections. You've published three collections. Uh, one could say, I think, that a definite development is seen within those collections. Mm. Uh, that's true. I mentioned earlier to you that uh, I grew up in the same kind of background that uh, Patrick Kavanagh uh, grew up in. So my early work is reflective of um, Farm Moray's the rural background theme that, of course, was very strong in Patrick Kavanagh. Uh, of course, I began quite early reading Kavanagh as well, so it was natural that his influence should uh, strike me very forcibly. 
I have been out of the rural background now for about some 10 years, so there is an increasing urban strain in my poetry, and I'm very conscious as well of uh, trying, trying to reflect the modern Irish scene in my work. How important is recognition to you? I suppose um, recognition is important at some stage, really, for every artist. I went for many years writing away quietly, as it were, in a corner without any formal recognition. It was with the Patrick Kavanagh Award that I uh, won my first recognition, and that was important in that it gave you a sense of what you felt already, uh, that is, that you were a poet, and now you had some proof of it. And after that, it gave you had some added encouragement uh, to develop your talent further. So it was important from that point of view. But I think with or without recognition, uh, I still would have continued writing. Aside from yourself, for whom do you write poetry? I... That's a difficult question to answer because basically, I suppose, every writer, first, every writer writes first of all to um, uh, suit what he himself wants to express that he believes is uh, deep in his own heart, let's say. There is a, a point of view expressed that uh, the uh, reader really is looking over the writer's shoulder all the time. However, I am much more conscious now of the communications aspect of uh, poetry. In my early work, obviously, people around my own home place enjoyed it uh, very much. Uh, because they knew the rural background and so on. Uh, people with an interest in mythology uh, uh, among a more restricted uh, reading public obviously would enjoy Orpheus. And uh, many of the hundreds of young uh, science, uh, applied science graduates coming from the regional colleges, let's say, would understand what was going on in Ray Daly's mind because I use a language there that uh, they would have to know in order to get their certificates or diplomas. John Ennis is a quiet man of boundless energy and enthusiasm. Indeed, he has been mentioned to me as a workaholic, a term he himself used earlier in this programme when referring to his father. Does he ever show poetic anger, I wondered? Occasionally. Um, if the occasion calls for it, obviously, uh, there is a, a poetic anger, as it were. That does feature occasionally in my work, and uh, it's an important element of parts of it. Uh, one poem is titled Official, and uh, this grew out of an incident that happened quite a number of years ago. Actually, the background to it is as follows. I was walking with my father some time before his death through the farm at uh, Hightown, and we were looking at the cattle and he was remarking on the marvellous way that prices had increased. This was in the early 70s. And that automatically led him to consider the terrible years of the economic war where many farmers simply had to sell their land. And he recalled one particular incident where he uh, felt entitled to compensation money uh, for the sale of his cattle, but through um, bureaucracy was denied that vital money, which was so terribly important for him when he had a large family. And official deals with the heartless side of bureaucracy uh, and uh, bureaucracy and the dehumanising aspects of it uh, features quite often in my work. During the economic war, 
and cattle weren't worth their hides. October stock I fed through snows, the black march to whitethorn days, hawk to fairs, traipsed the dry bread roads. My father gone, I sold all, a fraction paid a Tuesday. A Thursday, department official, Byros on his heart, walked into the garden, patted my plants, blazed by the apples. I needn't ask, he yawned, a halfpenny. Claim heard, sold two days. He tore the form by and by. Tithe of compensation dangled as a sock cry. Election stunt to ring votes. Sure, an old idol. I gave him a count three to move. The garden's foregrain steel shone. The air was thin as a cutthroat. His mouth still treacly with regulations. He saw me close, pocketed his niceties of no red tape of his tongue, hunched like a spider, ran off his web. At the road gate I saw his power, saw the snigger of his upper lip. His byros hurt me more than my poised prongs him. John, I would imagine that when that poem uh, became known, shall we say, um, that there could have been... Uh, almost a traditional type of reaction amongst uh, people who knew you. Yes, um, I suppose poetry has always been feared as well as loved in the Irish context. And there were some people who looked rather askance at me. Perhaps they were thinking, well, if he did it to that unfortunate official, perhaps he might do it to myself as well. Um, it is a, a point of view, uh, but I don't usually take that uh, very acerbic attitude. It's an occasional thing with me. John Innes now lives and works in Waterford, where he is head of the Department of Humanities at Waterford Regional Technical College. His wife, Anne, works part-time at her profession of nursing, and they have three children, Therese, Fiona and Emmett. The attention to detail referred to earlier is evident again in his poem Birth at Airmont, which he wrote on the occasion of the birth of his daughter Therese. It provides a nice cameo of the view of the city from the hospital. You've left me now. Hot foot, I'm told to stay put. From your second floor maternity window I see and do not see Silence brooding across old corporation houses, smoky chimney pots, the 2nd of June in Congress Place. Cattleless, the hosed mart at High Valley Ricken. Straggle of summer lovers past the dollhouse to the Regina. Two French ships anchoring on the placid shore at 7.30. Mooring ropes of the cargo vessels dropping over bollards. The woodcock's coo is gently buoyant in thinly greying bluish clouds. Down in the glen, Imelda Bulger's calling her to eldest in. Squabbles, terrace roofs, ads for orange fiberglass hardly insulate, the ageing jute men unemployed with sons in ankle, marriages on the verge, daughters out for a glass craftsman, most settling for young apprentices. Hearts trust all in tomorrow here and the IDA. Woodcock and its twilight over gardens are hanging in delicate imbalance. A magnolia blooms across from Cody's. Love, assortment of voices. If love means to feed, clothe, see red, soothe the toothache when the black licorice hits the nerve. 
Love rummaging the minor memorabilia of a summer's day. Squads of after-supper threes to tens to seventeens on chalked pavements. No ground for sport, bed, kitchen. A mother tried to gas her family one cold Sunday morning, facing a bleak table. The sun was loitering in the east that terrible Sunday, attempted its first frail kicks in your womb. Now the minutes are taking their deadly time. From one o'clock on I've watched anatomy of pain, drip, pethidine, blood oozing. My palms polished with a constant friction shine like the corridor's parquet flooring. The tidy small of your back's an old washing board. Venus, a shorn mound of swollen rending flesh, cries like raw bile topped up your silky throat. Minute by minute savagery, my verse is a cold travesty. The drip forced you. Drooped in a wheelchair, you were whisked to delivery couch. I'm ready. On a hospital cherry, a blackbird blossoms into late June. Congress place intrudes, swells, ebbs round your dune bed. 7.40pm. If to your expulsive travail my ears a fetal stethoscope, I praise those Garetti with ergometron who must hourly cope. Fanula, Barbara, Eileen, Joan, Kathleen, thanks. Gallagher, the doctor, easing the baby out safely, thanks. Miss Egghead, in an inkling, sits on your diaphragm, to whom I'm a blur or nothing at all. She swaddled, warm to touch. If I say she has my dead father's face, who knows? Yours truly, of all that agony, bears not a trace. The award for the Open Poetry Competition at Listowel Writers' Week has been won by John Ennis three times, in 1977, 79, and again this year, with a poem already mentioned, A Week in the Life of Ray Daly, Laboratory Technician. Adjudicator Brendan Kennelly said of this one, At once a love poem, a criticism of modern life, a portrait of an intelligent individual in an increasingly soulless and shallow world, a critical picture of the ways in which our landscapes, lakes and rivers are being increasingly threatened from various forms of pollution. The lovers were late as they mounted the quarrelsome Yamaha beyond Mam. Outside Ornmore, they'd run foul of the traffic, seen the papal crowds belligerent in cars and losing their tempers and wanting their liquor, and convent girls crying with no accommodation, and the rain, oh the rain, the miserable rain. And Grania said, Perhaps they'll all fit yet on the prick point of the needle, and heaven will be just for us, ma'am, and the road to Killery. Grania could be bitchy when she wanted to. Grania's head was perfectly aligned with Ray's. She kissed his lips as if forever, as their motor idled. Their very helmets grew weary of desire. Grania sat on the pillion three inches above Ray's saddle. The Yamaha's two-tone horns kept the traffic from crowding their flanks. Their lips were alive with love indescribable. Ray dreamt he was blind beyond ma'am and lay reading Grania's body like braille. As they rode from more and more, the clutch cable broke again, irreparably this time. Serves us right, a mean voice of the spirit harped deep in their hearts for missing the Pope. Ray selected for skier, paddled the motorbike forward with his feet, 
pressed the starter button simultaneously, lifting his feet off the ground. He kept the throttle opening small as the engine juddered into life. Clawney was praying for success to the Virgin. Occasional traffic lights were a scourge in developing towns clogged with post-papal traffic. Ray chose neutral when he had to stop, rolled to a halt, silencing the engine using the emergency kill button. Ray and Grainne took a breather beneath Kickham's statue in Tipperary, drank a tin of beer each, had a leak in the jacks opposite, and Grainne rejoiced her period had come. But changing gears in full flight with no clutch was simple as salmonella drill for Ray Daly. He practised clutchless gear changes often for fear of such emergencies. On the mild rolling hills of autumnal Tipperary, yellow and black and pale and hectic red, he reached for the lower gear before required, handled the lever firmly, quickly, lightly. A timid change would have engaged a false neutral, and Grania's golden hair, free of the law, was blowing in the wind. Showers cleared off. Ray's advice for her helmet fell on deaf ears. Grania's hands gripped him tight. What to her was mere mortality? Ray said, in spring we will come back, lie within the rhododendron. They would do just that, having once outclassed the other cavern swimmers in Ballybunion. A day in the life of Ray Daly, laboratory technician. Um, that would seem to me to be uh, a new development, I'd say, in your, in your poetry writing. It is from many points of view, from the um, point of view of the style of the poem itself. It's more streamlined style. Also, the subject matter and uh, metaphors used in the poem. Um, in fact, the whole poem is a new departure for me in that it tries to give a sense and a critique of modern Ireland here and now, the changes that are taking place in modern Ireland here and now. And these changes are uh, seen through uh, the idealistic eyes of a young laboratory technician, Ray Daly. And the poem traces his love affair with a young art student, Grania Flynn. This poem won this year's award at uh, Listall Writers' Week um, for Open Poetry. Um, consequently, it's obvious you had to write, you, you, you must have written the poem for entry to the Listall Writers' Week. Uh, not necessarily. The way I usually work is um, I keep writing and I make a survey of what I have done uh, at the end of each year. And if I am submitting to Listall, I usually pick the poem that best represents my work over a, a yearly period. I enjoy very much going to Listall every year. There I meet uh, other writers of uh, poetry, and uh, it's a great encouragement uh, to talk to them and to discuss developments uh, among ourselves. But I don't consciously write for Listall. I merely keep writing uh, what I think I should be writing and then uh, extract from what I have written uh, for Listall. Referring back again to what you said earlier that uh, the writing of poetry is almost a compulsive thing with you. It's something that stems from within you yourself. Uh, is poetry a development, a continuing development of style and exploration of style, a continuing exploration of mastery of language, uh, a, a, con a continuing development of ideas? 
And would that be combined? Is it any one of those things or a combination of all? And does it also include an exploration of you yourself? Actually, it's all of those things. I think one is inevitably in one's early days influenced by other writers. For myself, there was a period when I was very much influenced by Patrick Kavanagh, for instance. Uh, at university, I actually fell under the spell of Dylan Thomas. Uh, there were other influences like Ted Hughes as well, Austin Clark. So one grows into these and one grows out of them. One finds one's own voice uh, at some stage and develops that. Um, but I suppose the difference between poetry and verse is that um, while verse has to do, let's say, with the craft uh, side of things, uh, poetry has more to do with the uh, interior psyche of the person. And um, uh, However, the craft must be there, because if the craft isn't there, well, then the interior development simply won't go ahead, or it certainly will not be expressed through the medium of poetry anyway. So one has to keep experimenting with the way one says things, and sometimes run the risk, as Eliot said himself, of when you have found the way to say it, perhaps you don't want to say what you originally wanted to express anyway, but that is part of the risk involved. So mm, technique is a developing thing, and I'm always interested in new ways of saying things. I tend to rewrite a lot to um, uh, approach the same theme from different angles. So it's, it's a continuing thing, really. Yet, with all the work, he was in debt hard, forced to tip the hat to a bank-smiling manager's condescent jowls and chance Sunday greetings. I saw this, burned then in shame, on streets to Gaelic matches. He still fed pigs. I cry now when I think all that futile scrape up the long winding hill, drenching days of Russellstown, his Plodstown, Saunders Bridge. Night's unfitting mongrels fitted him, told in his arthritis, managered all the drudgery credit embracing four winds come day go day bought and sold many door to door thanks and the poor mouth pursed down urchin children shoved out the porch thought it funny an old moustache after money he turned away had enough for us familiar raw fact I tasted uncured salt meat of a nursery jingle he fed me on his knee to market, to market. But he's all my rage now, kin to the ledgers, rat-chewed tatters in a grey dust-webbed wall. Work and be damned, his motto. I laugh too at life's accountant meanness of profit and loss. The wind is free as ever in the pines at Russellstown. The perch leap on dull days still by Saunders Bridge. The town boys dawdle their bait hooks there on long summer days. The soldiers' houses are suffering extensions, the same as ever. This is his plenty now. No end to him, 